Welcome to the Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today we're kicking off sustainability at LightEye. I welcome Ryan Poole to the podcast. He's the global sustainability leader at DPR Construction, one of the top 10 largest contractors in the entire country. They're a self-performing GC where they do a lot of concrete, drywall, electrical, and renewable services as well. One thing that they're diving into right now, which may seem a bit curious to you, is actually deconstruction. It's not construction, it's deconstruction. That doesn't mean they're building up and taking down the same buildings. It means they're doing both for different areas in different arenas, not only here in this country, but worldwide. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Thanks, Sam. Yeah, happy to be here with you today. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. I know that you've spent a little bit of time in Colorado. You got to live here for a couple of years. You're back in South Carolina now, where you're working with DPR, doing a lot of cool stuff around sustainability. And we've gotten the chance to catch up just a little bit. And today we're going to talk a lot more about that big picture, the holistic view in nature of what it means to not only be, quote, sustainable, but what that awareness is like, how we educate people and how in the large world of construction and your world of the GC, lighting is a piece of that and it's an important part of that. But before we dive into that, do me a favor, tell everyone, who's Ryan and how'd you get your start in this industry? Thanks, Sam. So yeah, small town guy, uh, grew up in South Carolina, but went to Clemson and that's where I really started to find my calling around sustainability. I got a bachelor's degree in construction management and uh, became the director of sustainability. That is a position I founded when I was there. I realized the university needed to have more of a focus on sustainability and so found an opportunity to leverage some of the things I was learning in the educational program and transfer that into some things I was doing with student government. And uh, it really kickstarted my journey in sustainability heavily from there. I went back and got a master's in civil engineering focused in sustainable development, which was the first of its kind and got to kind of create my own curriculum, which was which was pretty amazing. And from there, went into the industry. Yeah, so I, I, I worked pretty heavily in operations for the first part of my career throughout all kinds of different market sectors, heavy industrial, uh, nuclear, commercial, uh, education, you know, all around. Um, really gave me a diverse perspective on, you know, how the industry is impacted from sustainability throughout every market. From there, I decided to transition into a role at DPR, which has really been an incredible journey where I focus solely on sustainability for the entire organization. Uh, that's been just an exceptional opportunity as we've continued to reinvigorate sustainability within our organization and grow a team to support that. Let me get this straight. You are now running sustainability as a task, as a leadership group for one of the biggest contractors in the country. And this all started because you made your own curriculum in college. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Trailblazer Ryan. Uh, yeah, I don't know gentlemen. about that. But, uh... <laughs> Trailblazer Ryan. I mean, sustainability obviously is it's fundamentally inside your core. It's something you not only believe in, you want to see it happen. You're finding the people that are leaning into that today. And before they were doing that, you were creating it within your own institutional organization at Clemson and then creating a degree around it. I got to ask, what gives? Like, how'd you get into this before anyone even told you it was a thing? Hey, 
Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think back, I've just always had this strong connection to nature and humans in a, in a weird way and the synergy between the two, right? I think I realized in college, there was just this massive disconnect on the education and awareness piece of how we actually function in urban society and what people's knowledge of that is. And I think that massive disconnection in education prevents us from evolution, right, around sustainable aspects of our life. And so that's really where I think my passion grew was just, oh, wow. I mean, we need more and more people talking about this and not just talking about it, researching it, figuring out ways to improve it, and then getting everybody collectively on the same page that we've got to continue to move progress together. The thing about sustainability is it's got this big function that's all around the infrastructure itself, right? The way the infrastructure is set up. And that's why the built environment has such a big role in sustainability because it's how we move around our spaces. It's the spaces that take up the most amount of energy and ergo uh, you know, emissions that we have. And so there's a massive responsibility there. And the disconnect for me was just too vast. And so I think that's where it really started to shift my nature. And so coming up from a school um, in the South and, and at a time where there weren't degrees, right, that were focused on sustainability at the time, I found a really unique solution with some awesome professors that wanted to support me in that. And um, it's led me in an incredible journey so far to a career that I, I love. You clearly have a lot of awareness around this topic, around what it means to be sustainable. You mentioned it's that connection between humans and nature. The reality is if we're not in the built environment, we're outdoors. We have one planet, we have one earth, we have one opportunity to live and frankly, one opportunity to destroy it. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that we've unintentionally done on this earth that has harmed our atmosphere, that's created what people refer to globally now as climate change, rising temperatures and, and a lot of other stuff. When it comes to the built environment, it's kind of the one thing everybody is in all the time. People are traveling, people are living. Most people are in some form of a, a container. I'll just call it, right, a structure. And it's built. And there's a process that goes into that. And everyone knows there is way too much waste in construction. Talk to me a little bit about the education behind what we are are embarking on as an industry right now to not only, you know, obviously fix this, but just start to learn about what we're doing and how much of an impact it's making on the environment. Yeah, we've got such a long journey ahead of us to educate everyone. It's been one of those things that have just really fallen by the wayside, I think. And so we've had incredible programs out there that have made exceptional leaps and bounds in pushing codes further in certain municipalities um, that drive sustainability, right? And, and I'd say the same, that, that's across the board, whether we're talking about waste or whether we're talking about, you know, the functioning of, of the product. And so I think there's inevitably, uh, when, when we're looking at, you know, how waste is, is impacted, it's going to the actual consumer themselves and educating them on the behaviors and the decisions they make. It's not a manufacturer's fault necessarily uh, if they continue to make a product and the consumer continues to buy it, right? When the consumer is the one that wants to drive the change. So I think it's twofold on the responsibility side, right? It's the people that purchase, but it's also the person that manufactures it, right? There has to be synergy and everyone understanding that there's money to be made Absolutely. And economics drive what makes our world go round, essentially, right? But 
if we continue to avoid looking at the triple bottom line and just focusing on economics, then we may end up, you know, with a world that's unsuitable, you know, for us to live in as humans and particularly maybe other species as well, right? And I think that's where we're at the crux of starting to realize that, you know, even more and more now as population growth continues to increase and we continue to add to the building stock and the way that we travel and the amount of products that we produce. You mentioned the triple bottom line. You mentioned focusing on basically a short-term or a long-term goal. Short-term is this is what I need, this is what we need, this is what is going to happen. Long-term is beyond I, we, or they, right? It's from the time something will come up to the time something will go down. What happens through the life cycle of that project, everything that goes into it, and then how does it come out of it? There's a key in all of this, and it's the transparent nature of understanding all of that stuff. How easy is it to look at something today and understand what it is you're looking at from a sustainability perspective? So great question, Sam. There's unfortunately not a ton of uniformity in the way that we drive transparency behind products. And that's where we've really got to continue to push as an industry We have EPDs and HPDs that have a standard format, right? And that's probably the best insight that we have right now into how a product is made and what the impact it has both on environmental health and human health. And so we've got to continue to drive that type of transparency through those documentations and third-party certifications. But there also has to be some baselining in setting a framework that's consistent in how we actually measure those things. And I think that's where a lot of manufacturers are struggling right now is, A, there's there's a cost side to figuring out what your impact is from the product that you deliver. You have to go through your entire life cycle process, through your entire supply chain, your manufacturing process, and go through some you know algorithms and calculations to figure out how much of an impact does this product actually have. And that can be a roadblock, right, because of the process that you have to go through. But I think where we've really got to continue to drive and showing the importance of this is getting more and more people bought into it. And so there are a lot of commitments that are out there now for the AEC community to dive into so that it's not just on the owner, right, to ultimately make the decision of where they would want to pay for potentially more expensive product because it's more sustainable, but it's on the entire team, right? And so you can look at, you know, AIA 2030 is one of the commitments around that, right? There's MEP commitments, there's a lighting industry commitment, and there's also a contractor commitment right, through Building Green that talks about the importance of how we select products and what kind of backup documentation we need to verify that that product was made responsibly. When you look at the GC world, you guys are holistically responsible for not only everything that goes into that building from the standpoint of you're the ones who are building it, coordinating it with everyone, working with designers, so on and so forth, but managing the project and just who shows up and who comes and goes and how they get there and what they're doing with the material on site. GCs, I think the best way I have ever described them to someone who knows absolutely no one about construction is they're the conductor of the orchestra But the difference between an orchestra and a GC is you can't just have one conductor (laughs) waving a wand with everyone looking at you. There's actually like eight GCs on every GC project because GCs have to manage certain aspects of certain projects. And unfortunately, not everything always ties back in to 
literally one individual. Like construction is complicated. It would it would be <laughs> almost physically impossible for one person to do it, but that one entity can do it. So even within one organization, you all have your core responsibilities that cross pollinate, I'll say through each other and then and penetrate down into each trade, each design aspect of it. When you all look at all of that, when you think through what you have to do as a sustainability leader at DPR construction, what are the things that the GC world is focused on right now to help offer that education and that transparency? So internally, we're focused on our own educational campaign. So we've built our own guidebooks and have an entire library of learning. And we've also given our entire company access to a program that helps you provide study guides around how to get certain certifications, right? So internally, we've really tried to amp up our education avenues around this to bring awareness. And that's, you know, from everybody that's in admin all the way to our craft that are on the job. You know, the people that actually have to make those behavioral changes. And the big focus, Sam, is like, this isn't asking you to do anything significantly different than you already do in your everyday function. It's really about making a different choice in the choice that you're already making. So the process doesn't necessarily change. It's just the decision in the process that you make. So I'll give you an example. Whenever we're thinking about the type of equipment that we use on job sites, we have to have equipment regardless of what type it is. It's just saying, hey, when you go to procure that, let's try to get all electrified equipment. Okay, if it's not available, let's try to get equipment that can use biofuels. And working through that simple process of those decisions and why those decisions are important is really the fundamental part of what we're trying to educate people around. And once you know you really get that mindset around why those decisions are made, it then becomes a mindset. And it's not necessarily a thought process that you have to go through every time. It becomes a way of life, right? You just automatically think, why wouldn't I recycle this, right? Or even more so, I'm not buying that plastic water bottle in the first place because I know that it goes into a landfill that maybe ends up in the ocean and it takes thousands of years to break down if it ever does, right? And that gets into our food stream and a whole lot of host of other things. And so bringing that awareness to people that they may not have already had is we're getting back to the point of education, right? And why it's so vastly important. And so that's what we're kind of doing internally. There's a lot of focus externally as well. And that's not, you know, that's that's a collective peer group thing that we're trying to work on. So there's a lot of various peer groups and things that are coming together, conferences, right? Even awesome opportunities like this, where we're really trying to start having more and more collaboration around the reality that we face of where are we actually at versus where we want to go and what do we have to do to get there? And I think one of the biggest things we're realizing in this discussion, right, is that gap in understanding, well, what are the roadblocks that the lighting industry faces to provide us, you know, all the transparency data that we need in doing that? There are certain things that we want to make happen. I mean, it's one thing to just be transparent about your product, but then if your product doesn't meet the specifications, uh, you know, from a production standpoint or, you know, the way it was manufactured or the he- the way it affects the space, right, then it becomes inevitably not as functional. And so I think that's where we've got to continue to focus as well. The biggest point I think I wanted to come together on is that early collaboration piece. Historically, through construction, there's been a lot of division in the way that we just legally approached contracts. The GC was on one side, the design partner was on another side, right? The engineering group was down here. 
And then, you know, everybody else spreads out underneath it. And so it was very much putting people in separate corners, which made combative relationships historically. And so I think, you know, the industry as a whole is starting to realize that there are more positive way to go about the relationship to build the proper repertoire between everybody that's involved. And that's early collaboration and bringing everybody to the table at the same time, design partner, contractor, owner, and all of the other entities that you need for a customized space, right? And that could absolutely mean that you have your electrical contractor on early to look at lighting design because understanding the way that your daylight hits your space and then the way that the lighting design will incorporate that is one of the most impactful things that you have, right, when you're talking about energy use intensity and wellness within a space because daylight is one of the things that affect you the most, right, within a space when we're looking at circadian rhythm and the value that your body creates on whether or not you're getting headaches or you know, you're focusing clearly and things like that. And so continuing to research and develop and understand those impacts is vital. And so we've got, you know, combination of rating systems like LEED and WELL that together you, they hit on those energy use intensity and wellness aspects, right? To think about, well, how does lighting design actually impact the person that's in the space? And then also how does that impact the environment that's outside of the space? And so we can't, you know, disconnect those two because they're so interconnected. I think that's another reason that we've got to continue to drive awareness is there's a huge disconnect between the fact that we have environmental degradation and that that also impacts human health down the line. And so I believe continuing to synergize those together will help bring that better awareness to society as a whole. Because, you know, it seems that there's this disconnect, you know, between the two right now. You mentioned the disconnect, right? There's also a need for this earlier collaboration. Yeah. There's a lot of people who are raising the roof right now, pumping their fists in the air, going, we love early collaboration. It gives us an equal seat at the table. It lets us ask literally just the questions that are thought-provoking that are going to lead them to the right solution, so on and so forth. When you look at every trade in construction, there's certain things that happen earlier in a project, so they're involved earlier. There are certain things that happen later in a project, so they're not involved, maybe as early as they'll want it to be. On behalf of every single one of my friends in the lighting community, I think a large struggle they have is getting involved early. I think there's been a lot of progress over the last 10 years with the integrated nature of what a lighting system is now doing to a building versus just putting light bulbs in a space. So technology is helping the lighting industry out. Talk to me a little bit more about the other trades in construction. Who's kind of leading the charge in terms of getting involved and getting that seat at the table and leading the way in this sustainability movement? Lighting's just getting started, but there's a lot of this that's been around for a long time. Yeah, you know, it's generally starts with the owner. The owner gets, you know, to decide what type of contractual process they want to go to, who they want to select to help them start their journey. And that really kickstart the entire relationship and process from there. So I think it's continuing to get in front of owner groups and educating them on the benefits of early collaboration, you know, integrated project delivery method, design build, Um, design assist all great you know tools for early collaboration you know it's 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 incredibly beneficial when you not only have 
design owner and contractor together. But like you said, you have those trade partners and we make a big distinction to call them trade partners and not, you know, subcontractors because they are such a vital part of the entire process, right? And so having, you know, we even go through like early design discovery to bring those trade partners and, you know, lighting design partners and things like that into those early discussions to think about how does this all work together. That part of that early collaboration, Sam, is it gives everyone time to make decisions. And then once those decisions are made, get ahead of the procurement issues that we may have, right? Because custom, more sustainable products can sometimes have longer lead times. And why is custom and sustainability bottlenecking lead times? The lead time around it is honestly currently, I think, around supply and demand. The more we increase the demand for these types of products, the more we'll have supply and the more mainstream it'll come. I mean, it's it's generally why we don't have enough EPDs and HPDs right now behind the products that we have, right? There's still a vast amount of the owner groups that we've got to continue to help understand why this information is so important for us to drive sustainable design. It's made a massive turn, I think, and we've seen a lot of progress, you know, and quite frankly, a lot more of our projects are moving towards that integrated, you know, delivery method where we really have the opportunity to sit down with a design firm and the owner groups and say, hey, well, we need to bring these certain trade partners in with us because they have the technical ability to tell us on constructability, how to actually work in the space, right? And the other piece of it's cost. You know, one of the biggest issues we have when we don't utilize early collaboration is um, you can get really far in design and not have actual cost and constructability accounted for yet. And the one thing that we hate that always ends up happening is we end up value engineering. And when you end up value engineering and you've already gone through hitting your programmatic needs and what kind of space that need means and you know what kind of structural material you're going to use, all of your big components, and this is where you're talking about lighting can be sometimes down the line, then it's the list of things that are still on the chopping block when you're looking at VEing, right? You brought up one big thing, which is the fact that there's been a massive churn. This industry is headed in the right direction, but at the same time, there's still a big, 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 big challenge, which is the supply chain for a new era of products. And I'll just leave it at that. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll dive into that. What the optics behind the shift look like, where you've seen the most success and how you think lighting isn't too far behind it. Sound good? Yeah, sounds great. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick, the Light Pod is brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. They bring you things like this podcast and short, fun, informative videos to not only learn, but celebrate about lighting. Check them out at lytei.com. And welcome back. Over the break, Ryan and I were just catching up a little bit more on not only sustainability, but the holistic nature of it and where it's seen a lot of progress in our industry, the construction industry, and where there's still a a lot of room to grow or a lot of places to go or grow and go. Green means go. I think I could could say it all day long, (laughs) right? At the end of the day, Ryan, you mentioned there's a big momentum shift in the construction industry to focus on this. People are paying more attention to 
the place and the space that they go into. The internet has arguably helped the world a ton in terms of access to information and people being able to brag about their clean, sustainable space. You hear about green walls all the time, green roofs. Like there's there's just things that people just talk about casually now. And 15 years ago, if you said, I want to put grass on my roof, somebody would have literally <laughs> laughed in your face and said, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, I, I mean, sure. we've come a long way to your point. Talk to me a little bit about globally across construction, where you have seen some of these initiatives not only turn, but take off. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's been incredible, honestly, over recent years to see what I believe has just been a big transition in awareness and support behind the awareness. And that's not just within our industry. I would say it's been more at large. We now have more countries and companies aligned with the Paris Climate Accord than ever before. We have C40, you know, that's driving a lot of the cities that DPR operates in, but, you know, all over the world, it's it's driving municipalities to put certain governance around how we build the type of structures that they are, and not only the performance of the building and the materials that they use to build it, but how we build it, right? The equipment that we use and the actual missions during our process, which is another embodied carbon aspect of it. And so those are incredible guidelines and things that have been commitments that have been pushed out that our government has, has really tacked on to. Now, that's that's from the, the government side of things. Now, there's the corporate responsibility side that's really taken off as well. And so we've seen that through a lot of our clients, right, that have made certain commitments around uh, sustainability aspects of their company. And that trickles heavily into their building portfolio because it's one of the, if not the largest part of their entire carbon footprint. And so where we've really taken a hold of that as an industry is saying, well, now, you know, it's not just design firms saying we need to do this and contractors, you know, looking into how we can actually make it happen, but it's coming from an owner's perspective because investors have made the decision um, from statistical basis that a company that focuses on ESG and has good ESG measures and strategy generally performs a lot better economically. And so therefore, the entire investment pool is starting to shift a lot of that towards ESG funding with companies that have good scores, good metrics, and just generally good practices, because that shows um, not only that a company has a really great culture and and a purpose and and can be purpose-driven, but also that they're ultimately statistically based are probably going to perform better economically. And so it's really great to not only see the shift of, you know, these commitments from our government, commitments from the industry, um, individual companies, right, but commitment from the financial industry to say, hey, this isn't going away. It's incredibly important. And it also is like basis on the company's performance. And so we're going to shift a lot of that focus towards companies that have good ESG metrics. And so I think all of those things combined together have really started to generate that push that we probably haven't had in the past. You know, we've had some really good moments in time where sustainability was highlighted and got some good traction and then kind of fell to the wayside, you know, mainly due to economics. But I believe we're at a pivotal point where people are really starting to look at the triple bottom line you know, and, and look at the viability of a company. And not only that, you know, that's, there's there's a newfound awareness, like you mentioned, from social media and just our connection over the internet and how easy it is to communicate now and bring awareness to things. And so, though I think we still got a long way to go, right, there is this newfound awareness due to the way that we connect and, and talk with each other now. And so I believe that that's helped 
particularly, you know, generation now that's coming out of school and looking at, you know, career paths and stuff that want to get into to say that we care about, you know, what our company's doing. And I would rather go work for a company that's making the world a better place, you know, uh, than, than tearing it down and than tearing it. it down. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned embodied carbon and you mentioned the triple bottom mm-hmm. line. Mm-hmm. Embodied carbon is how much carbon is being emitted into the atmosphere to make that thing, to get it to where it's going, so on and so forth. The triple bottom line essentially points to the fact that you're not just measuring one economic metric, right? You're measuring three things. You're not just looking at what it costs. You're looking at what it costs to use it. You're looking at the people and the productivity that it increases. I got to stick my flag up in the air and I got to holler at the lighting community. All the lighting designers, all the people that love lighting, all of my friends in the lighting industry that I know you can't wait to meet and come to all of our conferences and events and talk to them about sustainability. We're super proud of what we do as an industry in the world of lighting, making, as one designer put it, exquisite luminous environments. It's important that we as a lighting community understand what it takes to properly illuminate an environment. That doesn't mean how many lights you need in a space. That doesn't mean you know, how much light is in the space. That means where do the lights go in order to create the right perception, the right intent of the space, the right experience. There's a sustainable aspect of creating a built environment that people want to be in. There's also a sustainable aspect of the environment and the environmental impact that that building is making and everything that goes into it. Lighting embodies both of them. Triple bottom lines are huge when it comes to lighting. What does great lighting do? It keeps people happy. It keeps them in a space. That increases your triple bottom line. Yeah. <laughs> what does lighting do in terms of a bodied carbon? Well, it's a product that gets built, that gets shipped, but then also gets turned on and burns energy. I mean, we're kind of one of the biggest problems, but at the same time, that allows us an opportunity to be one of the biggest solutions. Yet, we're just getting started. The lighting industry spent the last decade focused on a new technology that saves energy. I won't say that's it, but I'll say that's a big majority of the R&D focus. LED technology is, for lack of a better term, commoditized. Everybody knows how to use it. It's readily available. Well, mostly available. Uh, Supply chain has been tough on our industry in some aspects. So manufacturers are starting to look at other ways to be competitive, other ways to cater to their customers. We're sitting here talking about the most important thing that if anybody is paying attention to, the whole design community is talking about, not just lighting design, right? A sustainable project, sustainable practices, sustainable building. What can the lighting industry do? Who can they learn from? And um, how can they benefit this movement? I think first, you put out a really good example that we need to kind of acknowledge and I think give some praise to, right? Which is the evolution of LED lighting. LED lighting is now mainstream. And that's a really good example of evolution within a product that is incredibly valuable and be and should become mainstream from the sustainability perspective that it offered, right? LED lighting in general became less expensive to operate. And so there was the operational savings from maybe some of the, you know, initial capital investment that you had to have in the cost of LED versus, you know, fluorescence or other types of, of lighting. And so as time continued and LED became way more mainstream, the cost of it became way more competitive to where, you know, now it's 
pretty easy that, you know, in standard that you're going to get LED lighting in most buildings that you build. And it would be kind of bizarre if you didn't. Right. And so I think those of that evolutionary change, right, is, is where we all got to continue to focus. Yeah, we, we changed to LED lighting. How do we continue to make it more efficient? Right. Is that through a combination of solar tubes, uh, you know, or more daylighting exposure? Right lighting systems that are connected to daylight sensors that you know change throughout the day or have operable windows with them right and shading so that you can you know how to adjust the daylighting appropriately right and that all goes ties back to that wellness aspect right not just looking at the environmental impact but also looking at the way that it impacts humans that spend 90 percent of their time indoors right and so i think there's you know a lot of praise that we should give there the reality is, is, you know, the industry as a whole, we've still got a lot, you know, more of research and development and things that we need to do to understand how to drive more sustainable products. And that's, you know, looking at how they're made, the actual, you know, materials that we use to, to build them. Are they raw sourced materials, right? Or can we use recycled material? And if we can, right, what's the roadblock if we can't? You know, I think that's those are the kinds of conversations that we need to have, right, with all manufacturers across the uh, building portfolio. But just talking about lighting today is is having this partnership of understanding what the lighting industry says. It, it's significantly more expensive for us to use, you know, recycled material or, you know, the extruder that makes my um, – lighting fixtures can't handle, you know, a certain type of, uh, of aluminum recycled content. And therefore, you know, you've got a little bit of an engineering manufacturing issue, right? And so I think those type of discussions with the right partners at the table, we can develop better solutions together, right? And so I think that's where we've got to continue. And that's, that's going back to that partnership and collaboration, talking about the problem together so that you have multiple perspectives to figure out the solution. If it means that, similar to how LED lighting was, similar to how photovoltaics evolved, the more and more we increase demand, the more research and development we put in efficiency of that type of technology, the more affordable it becomes. And that gets all the way back to the social aspect of it, right? That's the triple bottom line. It's not just looking at how much did it cost in this space? um, What was the social impact within this particular space, right? Um, and, And how did it impact the environment? But looking at how do we make it affordable? for everyone so that you don't just get, you know, really awesome lighting or really awesome sustainable materials if you can afford them because you have the budget, but that it becomes mainstream so they're accessible for everyone because it's the right way to build, right? It's it's just the way that we should be doing it. But there's a lot of understanding how products are made and actually getting good data on that and then continuing to figure out how we evolve the processes, you know. Now you know, we build manufacturing facilities. And so having, you know, discussions with the manufacturer and a contractor to look at systems and how efficient they are, you know, it's, maybe it's not just the fixture, you know, that we're focusing on, but how the fixture's made. It may not be the actual material that we can change, but we can potentially change the manufacturing process itself, right, to make it more efficient. And that's getting deeper into the embodied carbon aspect. And looking at embodied carbon, you know, at the beginning of this, you mentioned, you know, one of our new services that we're focusing on is deconstruction. And that's because, you know, 90% of the waste stream comes from buildings that already exist, not from the waste that you generate from new buildings. Now, DPR prioritizes, and as most, I would say, sustainable design firms and everyone that wants to be sustainable is adaptive reuse, right, is one of the lowest embodied carbon ways that we can build because you use it 
building materials that already exist, right? And so that's that should always be a primary focus. But you know, realizing that you can't always use existing spaces, right? There's only so much building stock, and it may not function for you, or, or certain other reasons from location and whatnot. If you must build, you know, new, if you have to deconstruct a building, then it's looking at okay, can I work through a take back program with my lighting manufacturer to say hey, you know, will you take these lights back? Can you repurpose them? Can you resell them? Um, can you work with a building life cycle center, right, to say, can you come in and reutilize these? They could be used in, you know, an organization that's a nonprofit that has a new space that they're developing or Habitat for Humanity, right? All kinds of options. And so I think it's continuing to look at, you know, if we can't utilize adaptive reuse space and we, and we need to deconstruct, can we reutilize any of that to keep the embodied carbon aspects as low as possible so we're not reusing new raw sourced materials? And then if you can't, it's really working to find out what's the most sustainable product that, that's available. And that's where we've got to continue to work together to make sure that that information is transparent because all things are not created equal and it's hard for anyone, you know, as a designer or a contractor, I mean, and even in the lighting industry for you guys to understand how a certain product's made and how that stacks up against another one. And when we have this, you know, particular focus on that aspect of it, it's important information for us to have. And so the more readily available that is, right, through more and more demand, hopefully the more and more affordable it becomes, you know, as well. And and the more we're able to evolve the process to make incremental moves uh, and, and changes that will drive down energy use intensity um, overall, help you know ensure that it's made from responsible products and uh, made responsibly, I mean, highly recycled or renewable content, and then that it's absolutely performing well in the space, you know, that, that it provides people with optimal lighting that makes you have vital utilization of the space, right? That you feel the same way you feel in nature, right? When you're indoors. And I think that's one of the disconnections that we've got to continue to make. People spend so much time indoors, we forget about how we interact with nature, right? And so it's important for not just the lighting industry, all industries, but particularly lighting, right? To think about that is, is how do we actually go about natural movement in our day and how did the lighting design that we put in our space interact with natural daylighting so that it gives people optimal performance, right? I think that's, you know, continually where that partnership and early collaboration to talk through those things when you're looking at the design of a space and making those selections is vital in order to get, you know, a really sustainable, high-performing outcome. It's interesting. I mean, the biggest point and the best advice you just gave was what the industry craves and begs for every day right is which is that early collaboration and that opportunity for their basic services it's an interesting thought don't necessarily worry about your basic services just worry about what you care and worry about your mission and try and get involved early on there and see where it can take you ryan this has been a super awesome conversation uh, as i mentioned at the beginning of this podcast it's a beginning of light eye kicking off a big sustainability conversation this podcast is a series of five you're one of five people that are actually here in Denver to film a documentary that was released on Earth Day. It embodies an entire story around this entire industry and sustainability and how it's on the rise and how momentum is not only there, but it's required. And we all need to continue to work together. This conversation will continue with your fellow colleagues in this industry that are manufacturers and designers as well. 
And from there, this conversation will, without a doubt, start to get people's minds thinking and we'll get them churning and it'll give them a new perspective. And I just want to thank you for that. That's super important. And to have a general contractor take time out of their day to come <laughs> into our lighting world to say, hey, we care about you guys and here's what we're doing and all of that great stuff. Just to reiterate, the feeling is mutual because it takes folks like LightEye to bring this collaboration together, right? Um, it's not in a lot of spaces that GCs and designers and everybody sit down together to talk about the issues that we have. That's the really the separation, you know, it, it, that's keeping us from making true progress. You know, contractors are over here talking about it. Designers are over here talking about it. Manufacturers are over here talking about it. We're all talking about the same thing, you know, and, and to be real about it, we all have a different perspective and expertise to bring to the table that could support each other in the evolution. And so I, you know, just want to come in light eye and can, my hope is that, you know, this continues to launch and get more and more lighting industry experts, right, involved in having this type of collaboration and discussion, but not even just in the lighting industry, right? I mean, the hope is that we continue to have these intimate discussions and figuring out how to solve, you know, the, the challenges that we have in each individual trade in all of them across the board, right? We've got made some good headway in certain ones, but there's still so much work, you know, we have to do across the board. So I'm, I'm super excited that I got the opportunity to, to come and be here today to, to meet with all these people and, and talk about the challenges that we're facing and talk about how to overcome them together, right? So that we can actually collectively make an impact that actually changes the world. The collective impact is what it's all about. To that tune, if people want to continue this conversation, What's the best way people can get a hold of you? Yeah, you know, I've, I've got to say I've got an incredible supportive team at DPR. And so I um, want to make sure that people know we've got folks within every business unit that uh, help support sustainability and want to make sure I take time to recognize all those folks that help support that initiative. But, you know, if you've got direct questions to me that, that I can help field, um, feel free to reach me at ryan.pool at dpr.com. So that's R-Y-A-N dot P. O-O-L-E at dpr.com. Um, I'm happy to, to field questions and, and continue this conversation with, with everyone out there that wants to make a difference and, and make a change so that, you know, like you said, that, that collective input, we can come together and, and really drive impact. You know, Ryan, people say once you get into the lighting industry, you never leave. Welcome <laughs> to the lighting industry. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. We'll catch up with you soon. Happy to do it, Jim. Appreciate it. See you. Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Light Pod. If you enjoyed it, do me a favor and click that like, follow, or subscribe button. That's the best way to never miss another episode where we talk to people about all things lighting who have inspirational and thought-provoking conversations to share. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.